Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. Oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and thank you once again for joining my brother and myself for what is going to be a spectacular podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, and I'm the author of a series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, all available in ebook and paperback at Amazon. And also, volumes one through six are available in audio format at Audible, Amazon, and iTunes. And as we begin the show here, Kev, I'm going to bring you right in, bro. How you doing? I'm doing all right. How about you, Bill? Very good, Kev. You know, I had another fantastic conversation with a listener of ours out in Oregon just this afternoon. Fella's name is Casey. He's got a huge ranch, uh, about 5,000 acres, 1,000 which he uses, and the rest is uh, wood. And uh, he had a couple of, uh, I guess you'd call it evidential. One was a sighting by his uncle. Uh, the other one was a enormous howl that was heard by him and his family out in the woods when he was nine. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, he described it as a scream uh, more than a howl. Uh, he, sound, he said it sounded like a cross between a screaming woman and a cougar. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody hightailed it back for the campers and whatnot. They were out camping. But here's the interesting thing, Kev. And uh, he was defending himself. Uh, A friend of his was breaking his chops because he actually heard him listening to our podcast. And his friend says to him, what are you listening to that garbage for? You You don't believe in that stuff, do you? So Casey, of course, does believe. And by the way, the second uh, encounter in his family was his uncle who was driving home or driving back to the shop after having dropped a load of lumber off. He saw a Bigfoot crouching by a creek and cupping water to its mouth in the headlights. Whoa. Hey, a Bigfoot's got a drink, too. Absolutely. You know, so he's defending himself. And uh, it turns out that he was sharp enough to say this. Apparently, there was a census taken of the bear. I don't know if it was in his gigantic county or the state, but they estimated the bear population to be about 10,000. And he said to his wise guy, buddy, have you ever seen a bear? And he said no. So my point being this. 10,000 bears in that area. Again, I don't know if it was the state of Oregon or 
It sounds like a huge number, but the guy had not seen a bear. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting, you know, when we say, Should, shouldn't we see more? His friend was saying, well, why haven't we seen more of them? Why don't we see them? And he countered with, well, have you seen a bear? Mm. Now, what did he and, say? He had a 5,000-acre ranch? Yeah. And 1,000 acres of it is used, and the other 4,000 is a Sasquatch sanctuary? Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting yeah, for you to say he brought his friend out there and introduced them to <laughs> Huey and Louie. It's it's their living room. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on out to the back 4,000 acres. <laughs> Kev, you know, I mean, you know where I live. It's hard for me to fathom such uh, pieces of property. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? He's talking about visibly. He uh, He's in an area called the Sisters in Oregon. And... Uh, you know, it's really. Remember, you were talking about how massive some of these states oh, are yeah, out there especially when you Oregon. get in them. It's just—it's hard to fathom uh, that amount of real estate. You know. Yeah. Well, you—I mean, don't even bring up the ranches down in Texas. You know, where people have a two hundred thousand acre ranch. You know. Yeah, it's just bizarre. And I mean, you know—you know where I live. I'm sitting on a little over an acre. Uh, my neighbor has about, uh, I guess, an acre and a half. Uh, you know, it's just hard to fathom 5,000 acres. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the the real estate that's available and the the uh, the slim margin of how many people are actually living in these locations. Yeah, what vast, wide open areas that are, you know, largely uninhabited by people, at least. Yeah, he was talking about like, you know, X amount distance from his house there's a small town and i said to him but casey in the grand scheme of things that town is just like a blip it's it's like a pond in the middle of a wilderness you know what i mean oh yeah just incredible so my hat's off to casey and you know kev we we're having a contest uh spinning off from our, our last uh uh podcast uh i asked everybody to look at the videos and uh, get back to us telling us, you know, which one they liked the most and why. And we got a lot of feedback back from them. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. And uh, so I'm going to announce the two winners. Uh, The first one was a fellow named David H. I'm not going to say your last name, David. David H., uh, my brother will be reading your mail today, so you'll know who you are. And you have to get back to me with your name, address, and I'm going to send you out an autographed book. And I'm feeling generous today, Kev. Well, that's good, because I still don't have an autographed <laughs> book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling generous today. I have a second winner, Angel, Angel or Angel J. As in Jack, uh, David H. and Angel J. And because Casey was so cool today, Casey, I know you're going to listen to this. Send me your full name and address, and I'm going to send you an autographed book as well. All right. And while you're at it, send me a book. It's our (laughs) 50th podcast we're recording today. (laughs) You'd think I'd get a book. 
Sorry, Kev, you're out of luck. <laughs> Arg. <laughs> so I thought that was so cool, and it's just ongoing, the conversations with the people. It just uh, it blows my mind when I talk to these people about what's in their family, what they've heard, what they've seen. It's just really remarkable. Yeah, super cool. So what do you got in your bag of tricks today? All right. Well, you know, you hear people saying all the time, where are the bodies? Maybe, Uh just maybe, this is one of the bodies. All right. So have you heard about the Minnesota Iceman? Uh, The Minnesota Iceman? Yeah. No, I haven't. And it's not a mascot of a hockey team. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it is, and I just don't know it. Yeah, maybe they Junior disposed of something. them. <laughs> so we're going to talk about this one. And this is, uh, there's a lot out there on this. It's kind of a controversial story, and you'll see why, but there's some interesting uh, facts about it as well. So despite the name, the Iceman himself is not likely from Minnesota, although he did spend a lot of time there after his death. Or if you think this is a hoax, after his creation. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And some of the facts here I'm covering uh, come from from an article in Outside Magazine from January 10th, 2013 from Katie Haney. So I just want to give a shout out to one of my favorite pubs, Outside Magazine. Um, So there's a lot of rumors and stories and some stories that have changed by the same authors out there about the Minnesota Iceman. But a few things are clear and seem very factual, so we're going to start with those. All right? Okay. So the Iceman was originally owned by a retired Air Force pilot by the name of Frank D. Hansen, and he lived in Minnesota. And you'll see a lot of articles out there where Frank is featured with the Minnesota Iceman and pictures of him, too, which I'll put up on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. But during the late 60s and early 70s, Hansen carted the body around with him of the Iceman in this frozen block of ice in a case, a glass case, and he brought it to state fairs and different carnivals around the Midwest. And he got a lot of coverage about this, and he described it as a missing link in the evolution of humans. Wow, that's really odd. Yeah, and the, the pictures are pretty cool, too, so I'll describe them to you. So, you know, the, the creature is about six feet tall, and it was covered in brown hair that was about three or four inches long all over its body. And the creature, and again, I'll share the images, is lying on its back with its right arm, if you could picture down along its side, and its right hand laid across its stomach, kind of like if you were relaxing, right? Right. And the left arm is arched across and over the creature's head. Wow. So not unlike a human pose, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, the experts that examine this creature, they say that the left arm appears to have been broken. Um, I can't really tell by looking at the pictures, but they said it's kind of unnatural how it's bent. And they say that one of the eyes appeared to have been knocked out of its socket. So a little grotesque, you know. Oh, man. Yeah. How did it get in a block of ice? 
So we're going to get to that. Okay. We're going to get to that. So that's that's not one of the facts. <laughs> so, not one of the clear facts, All at right. least, but interesting part of the story. So Hansen, right, the guy who had the creature, he was introduced to two famous uh, cryptozoologists. And, you know, you know these guys, Ivan T. Sanderson, right, wrote one of my favorite books, The Abominable Snowman. Excellent publication. Yeah. And uh, Bernard or Bernard Hovelmans. Uh, and he was introduced to these two gentlemen by an aspiring, nat- aspiring naturalist by the name of Terry Cullen. Okay. And yeah, and Terry saw the carcass of the Iceman at the International Livestock Exposition at their annual fair in Chicago back then. So again, I said he went around to these state fairs and carnivals, and this guy Terry Cullen saw it and said, hey, man, you know, Ivan Sanderson and uh, Bernard Hovelmans would like to see this thing. So he reached out to him, and in fact, Hovelmans and Sanderson came out to Hansen's place to look at the frozen body. Mm, interesting. Right. Yeah, pretty cool. So they show up in December of 1968 at Hansen's home. And um, this is where Hansen had the creature during the off-show season. So kind of in the wintertime, right? Right, right. And both of these experts in cryptozoology became convinced that it was real. And so much so that they prepared detailed illustrations and plan to have the creature described in technical literature, huh. right? And I'll show uh, uh, Sanderson did a sketch also, in addition to the photographs of the Iceman. <coughs> Excuse me. And I'll put that on our website as and well. And these two guys, Kev, they're no joke. I mean, San- no, no. Like if they thought it was bogus, they would have left, right? They, first of all, they probably wouldn't have come out. Right? right. Well, they wanted to see. There was probably a stir about it. And they probably, if if they were of the same mind and thought it was a hoax, they would have shook his hand and said, have a nice day, and that would have been the end of it. Well, yeah, and they're both researchers. And, you know, if you're a researcher, you got to go out and look at stuff. Absolutely. Right? So <clears throat> so they, uh, they go out there, and they described it as following. So they said the body was that of a robust, barrel-chested male— with a thick neck and large hands and feet. They said its face was broad, it was flattened, and it possessed a short upturned nose and prominent brow ridges. And they talked about the eyeball dangling from one of its sockets and uh, been the forearm that was interpreted as evidence of a fractured radius and ulna, right? Wow. Yeah, and they both wrote that they were intrigued by the enormous size of the hands. They said its thumb was slender, tapered, and long. Its nails were flat, yellow, and of an appearance that almost looked manicured. Wow. Yeah, and Sanderson wrote that there was a heel-like pad on the palm's outer surface, which is uh, he suggested is a feature to be indicative of habitual uh, quadrupedal behavior. So kind of going along on all fours, right? Right, which we know from many accounts, people have seen him drop to all fours. Exactly, exactly. And Ed Sanderson wrote that at one point during the examination, the glass over the case cracked and it released an odor that he described as that of decomposing flesh. Wow. 
Yeah, so that's important as we get into the story. Yeah, because if it was a mannequin, there'd be no stench of rotten flesh. No, no, no. Wow, that's weird. Yeah. So so you hadn't heard of this guy, huh, Bill? Well, uh, now that you're going along, I had heard about him, but when you said the Minnesota Iceman, I was like... Yeah, you didn't know him as yeah, that. Yeah, but yeah. no, I have heard some of this before, but it's still really interesting to go back over the facts. Yeah, sometimes you'll see some stories that say, like, Bigfoot shot by Air Force captain in the 1960s. And that's the same thing, which we'll get into that in a few minutes here. Okay. Um, so now we go to another, uh, this time a gentleman by the name of John Napier, who is a primatologist at the Smithsonian Institution. Um, he was invited to come and examine the Iceman. Uh, it might have been a year or so after uh, Sanderson and Hovelman were there. Okay? okay. And and he became sure that it was a latex model and that it was fake. And he challenged Hansen on this, and Hansen said that he had withdrawn the original genuine specimen from display, mostly from being from the fear that he was going to be found guilty of killing something that might have been a, fo- a human form, and he replaced it with a model. Ah, uh, yeah. So a little bit of controversy. Yeah, right? and, and this was a year after Sanderson and Hull. They don't say how long, but so you know, a year, a couple of years after. Okay. Um, but Sanderson <clears throat> went. They went back to Sanderson, and Sanderson supported this by saying that the specimen examined by Napier, the guy from the Smithsonian, was obviously different from the original one that he and Havelmans had examined. Oh, so he supported because, the, he supported that a swap had occurred. Well, he's supporting that there's no way what they looked at was fake. Okay, okay. So a swap must have occurred. Right, right. Interesting. And still in the block of ice. Uh, yes. Wow. Yeah. And the photos show that over the years, the form and face of the body varied a little bit. In some photos, the mouth is closed. In others, it's open, clearly revealing a complement of very large teeth. You know, so then folks said, well, maybe there's more than one model. But also, if this thing's freezing and defrosting and stuff like that, its appearance might change a little bit, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I... They didn't mention I, that, but I was thinking it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I'm just saying, if you're dead center in the middle of a block... Uh, I don't know as you unless you thaw it out entirely. Which how are they keeping this thing refrigerated all the way along? Well, we're getting okay. there too. <laughs> so so we went like from the facts to a little bit of weird, and now we go into the confusion and what I might call bizarre. Okay, okay so buckle up, buckle up, <laughs> buckos. So the story changed a few times. So Hansen, right, the guy who had the Ice Man claimed the figure was found in the Bering Strait and that he sent it to Hong Kong or that it was sent to Hong Kong and purchased by an eccentric California millionaire who later hired Hansen to care for the Iceman and take him on trips around the Midwest to show him off. Wow, that's weird. So it gets weirder, too. Guess who... The uh, the well, it's hard to guess, but guess who the eccentric California millionaire was rumored to be that hired Hanson in this version now, of the this story? This was a, a rumor, right? That was posted in this rumor. magazine. 
Uh, this was just rumored. No, well, this came up in other other searches. Okay, I, I really have no idea. He was an actor, and he was in the movie It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, uh, Henry Fonda. Uh, not uh, the, Is it Henry Fonda? No, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart. Stewart. I, Close, I'm seeing no. his face, and I'm saying the wrong name. Yeah, so the rumor is Jimmy Stewart had the Iceman and hired Frank Hansen to look after wow. him. Wow. But just a rumor. Wow. But get this. So only a year after that, Frank Hansen wrote an article in a magazine called Saga, S-A-G-A, which claimed that he, Frank Hansen, 10 years earlier, when he was stationed in the Air Force in Duluth, Minnesota, came upon the Iceman during a deer hunting trip 60 miles outside of town. And he wrote, he actually came across three Icemen. But only only the one only one of them charged Hansen, and he shot it. Wow! So yeah. the water gets murky here. You almost wonder it, what what story is true. But Hansen could have thought, well, I may get in trouble for this, so let me fabricate this other story about the Bering Straits. Like I had nothing to do with its origin. Uh, right and. Just odd, you know, but go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, so he shoots the hairy man and runs away, right? He gets scared. Like, he's like, what the heck are these things? And he shoots it and gets the heck out of there. So he comes back, though, a couple of months later, and to look for the corpse. Excuse me, I'm losing my voice today. And he finds the corpse buried in snow. And he brings the body home. And, of course, his wife is uh, a little upset that he has this six-foot body of a hairy man. And get this, Hanson puts it in the family freezer in the basement until the spring. Oh, smoke. So that's how it became the ice That must have been one heck of a freezer. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying, bro? Yeah, one of those. Well, you remember when we were kids, we had that giant freezer out in the garage that you could probably put something six feet long. Well, I don't know, but you might have to set it down in there or make it sit up a little bit frozen or something. Yeah, I don't know. That's a crazy uh, convoluted uh, story. I told you it would go to the bazaar, but that's that's how we get there. And uh, and then, you know, he starts taking this thing out to... uh, to these uh, different different shows and fairs and stuff like that, and figures he can make a little money off of this out of the curiosity. Um, but he gets nervous about it, and he tells uh, a fellow showman that he had to make a, cre- uh, a fake of the creature afterwards because he was worried about getting in trouble for killing wow. it. And during this time, by the way, the story apparently blew up, and the FBI at one point wanted to investigate this whole thing. So I guess it was really popular back yeah. then, you know, in the 60s and an, 70s. And people were really yeah, talking a real novelty about it. thing, you know. Is it real? Is it not? You know, in the block of ice, you know, it's a weird thing. Certainly yeah. people would want to take it. I mean, if somebody said, take a look at the Iceman, you had a carnival and it was 50 cent, you'd probably put down 50 and walk in, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's kind of weird, you know. 
And this creature, though, when you look at it, like it's not an ape because it has this flat mouth. You know, it doesn't have that pronounced mouth of an ape. And its feet and its hands are really big. And this goes from the picture and also the sketch. So the original sketch uh, you can find, and I'll put it on our website, from Ivan Mm -hmm. Sanderson. Right. You know, and he did this sketch, all of the measurements, and it's got some big feet and some big hands. Yeah, and it makes so, you wonder, you know. I mean, not that it couldn't be done, right, to create something that looked very lifelike. And if you were sealed in ice, there would be a marginal distortion of what you were looking at in the block, I would imagine. Exactly. So, you know, could it be pulled off? Certainly. Did he pull it off? I don't know. And why would Sanderson and Havelman be in agreement that it was legit? Right. And don't forget, right, when the case cracked a little bit, when they were in, investigating it, they smelled that rotting flesh. Yeah, and that's, you know, if right? that, if, Which is if, a if key that point. end of the testimonial is legit, that's hard to uh, get over on. We don't know how it cracked. Uh, but, you know, right. somebody could have put some uh, stank inside the case and broke it on purpose you know, like on purpose, accidentally to let the stink be smelled. Sure. I mean, there's sure. a lot of variables here. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, you get the gist of it, though. Um, you got this thing that's documented, right? There's photographs of it. Um, and so, you know, we say, oh, there's never any pictures. No, there actually are pictures. But you have to go and look for them. And again, I'll put them on the website. You got a sketch from Ivan Sanderson, who's reputable cryptozoologist, right? right? Um, And really the thing that can, and you have folks coming out to see it, including the Smithsonian, the FBI wanting to investigate them and things like that. And where we go off the rails is, you know, maybe Hanson's a little crazy. Yeah. Right. Which, you know, you're you're storing a, a six foot tall hairy man in the freezer in your basement. Okay, I think you're pretty crazy right yeah. there. Yeah, very, uh, <laughs> very strange. So then you start to change your story, and now you know, in 2020, uh, we're talking. Yeah, I wonder about what it. the FBI uh, thought about the whole thing. We don't know that. Well, they said at one point that they just said, "Forget it. This is a hoax." Uh. And, uh, you know, it might have been after the Smithsonian said it was a uh-huh. hoax, right? Uh, then the FBI, you know, said, oh, we don't we don't have to go into this. We don't have to come and right. see Right, we this don't guy. have time for this. We're pretty busy. Yeah, we're busy. Unbelievable. Yeah. We, we know what crazy yeah. looks like. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, this could all be legit. It certainly has a lot of aspects of being legit. And it could just be communicated by someone that's a little off. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You know, and I apologize to Frank's relatives. I don't. I never met the man. I don't know that he was right. a little off, but uh, I'm just saying that could be an aspect why this didn't get more momentum. Yeah, and it's an odd, certainly an odd set of circumstances. You know, when you start to change your story, it was dug up into Bering Strait, shipped to Japan. We got it back over here. Somebody asked for me to take it around and show it. Then it changes to a West Coast uh, millionaire. And, yeah, it's a bizarre set of circumstances. But I did see uh, pictures of this creature as you're you're telling this story in our cryptids in the news and history segment. And, uh, you know, just looking at it, it was certainly, uh, 
Interesting. Let me put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely Bigfoot-like. And by the way, you know, the concept of the story where he had a fake model made up when he got right. nervous, I mean, that certainly could be, right? Like, right, and we we don't know where this thing ended up. You know, what, what was the demise of the Minnesota Iceman? So the fake one was sold a number of years ago on eBay, and some guy in Texas owns Unbelievable. <laughs> you don't have the uh, fake one Cam, in your I basement, Bill, you know. do you? But I, I never yeah, dug well, around you know, down Not there. many people do, there. you know. I mean, you know, <laughs> if you come into the compound, you know, you got to be careful. <laughs> I should say that, you know, the guy was rumored to be <laughs> That's from right. Not, not only uh, Suffolk <laughs> County, Long Island, a little bit, uh, a little bit further north. Uh, you know, and speaking about stank, what, let me tell you <laughs> something. When I accidentally shut down my freezer a month ago and I had my clam bellies for bait defrosting in there, you want to talk about some stank when the glass broke. <laughs> you catching Bigfoot oh, with clam my bellies? Goodness. My basement, man, was reeking. The floor, <laughs> the inside of the freezer, there was Juice oh. all over the place. Oh, oh it was freaking oh. awful. Absolutely awful. <laughs> I had 40-plus pounds of frozen clam bellies uh, thawing out juice and rotting clam all at the same time, leaking out of my freezer onto my basement floor. You could imagine <laughs> what was going on down there. So yeah. if you put some of that juice inside and leaned on the case and cracked it like, oh, I made a mistake, and that emanated from there, you'd be like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> it's alive! <laughs> yeah, so definitely uh, to our listeners out there, come to the website, BigfootTerryInTheWoods.com. Check out these pictures. They're pretty cool. And the sketch of Ivan Sanderson. And uh, if you don't have a copy of Ivan Sanderson's book, The Abominable Snowman, uh, it's fantastic. I mean, it's got all of the cryptids in it somewhere. You just thumb through the index in the back of that book, and, I mean, everything has got a mention in that yeah, book. Yeah, no, it's incredible. Hovelman, Hovelman's like the father of cryptozoology. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I don't want anybody to look at those pictures and say it resembles me. You got me? <laughs> we might say it looks like the fake one that's in your basement. <laughs> uh, that was excellent, Kev. Excellent stuff. Uh, and I have a really cool, um, I guess you call it a testimonial, right? This account uh, is just one of many that have come my way since the writing of my many books. Uh, it was sent to me initially in written form prior to my interviewing Nicholas. And with very few changes being made to Nicholas uh, Pressman's manuscript, this is his account. My dad was my best friend, as well as being my role model in all things pertaining to life and living, which in my case included hunting. I would literally beg him to take me with him to the extent that at such an early age, he would literally have to carry me through much of the brush 
which we had to navigate in. He always said that others may judge him wrongly for turning me loose at such a young age, but as time went on, I had proven myself worthy in every way. I was a quick learner, had a good shot, always followed the rules and practiced safety first. Over time, I had demonstrated such good practices that my father had actually set me loose on my own before I was of legal age to do so. I would be squirrel hunting while he was using a bow trying to tag a whitetail. I know he was never far away from me, but it made me feel like a man nonetheless. One day in the fall of 1990, I had been released early from school, being in the sixth grade. When I got home, I was itching to get in the woods. My dad was still at work, but my mom knew that I had his permission to go a short distance into the woods on my own, and so off I went. I headed up the mountain into what we called the main hollow on the family property where just a couple of hundred yards up the trail, there was a plateau over which water ran from above. The water crossed to the left over the main trail and met the creek which flowed through the main hollow. The hillside was covered in laurels, interspersed with some nut-bearing trees. It was the perfect place to find a couple of squirrels for my hunt. As I stood there surveying the area, a somewhat eerie feeling began to overcome me. And even though I was keenly aware of it, I stuck it out. The truth being that I knew every square inch of that woods by heart, and I had never been afraid to be in there alone or otherwise. My dad, however, had always spoken to me about what he called a hunter's sixth sense. He would say... If you're ever in the woods and you get a feeling that there's something wrong, you best pay attention to it. When the hairs on your neck start to stand up, it's time to get out and quickly. On this day, my sixth sense was talking to me big time, but rather than leaving, I had decided to stay put, not traveling any further up into the hollow than I was, staying closer to the house. I sat there in that spot for quite a while, but hadn't seen a single squirrel, which was kind of odd in that I had bagged my limit here on many occasions. It was then that I began to sense that the entire woods had become very still when suddenly my eyes picked up on some motion within the laurels about 50 yards from my position. I heard no sound but something which was big and black in color had moved in the laurels. My first thought was that of a black bear, and I began to kind of scrunch down trying to make myself invisible. As this black form began to make its way into a small opening, I realized that it was walking on two legs like a man. Even at that point, I still thought that it was a bear. It was as if everything was happening in slow motion as this thing turned its head, looked directly at me, and made direct eye contact with me. A strange and somewhat peaceful feeling began to overwhelm my being. 
I wasn't frightened at all, as to me it seemed to be controlling my emotions as our eyes remained locked on each other. At no point did the creature stop, but rather walked gracefully for about 20 yards, remaining in complete eye contact with me before disappearing once again into the laurels. I sat there in utter astonishment, not knowing how or what to feel. I had never given any thought to the existence of Bigfoot other than seeing Harry and the Hendersons dozens of times. At some point, I decided to head back to the house, but never told anybody what happened for fear of being ridiculed. I didn't tell my dad until I was 17, while the two of us were heading out of town on one of our hunting trips. And when I did, his response was classic. He didn't laugh and actually sounded quite amazed upon hearing my story. Although he had never seen one, his belief was that there are many things in the woods, the likes of which man has never seen. Perhaps he was just trying to make me feel good, as dads are prone to do. But I believed him, and have held my head high whenever and wherever I tell the story to this very day. As far as describing what I had seen to you, I will begin by saying that I believe it was a juvenile. He didn't look that big. Uh, or like the huge monster which most people describe, rather between six and seven feet tall. He was black and covered in hair, and I remember his arms being exceedingly long, even longer than his legs. As he walked, it was somewhat of a rhythmic motion, and his posture was sort of slumped forward, with virtually no neck being visible. His eyes were huge and black, and actually quite calming. His face was expressionless, with his appearance being like one of the Planet of the Apes characters. There was almost no hair on his face, but his body was very broad, perhaps three feet or better at the shoulders. He never stopped moving, and even as our eyes were locked, his legs moved forward as his upper body remained facing me. It always amazed me that such a big creature could move without making noise. This could be how they remained so elusive. I don't know. Uh, or he said, could this be how they remained so elusive? I don't know. Either way, I feel privileged to have seen it and somehow feel as though it allowed me to see it. What do you think of that, Kim? Very cool. Definitely privileged to have seen it and privileged to have seen it and walked away from it. <laughs> yeah, you know, because the tables could be turned, you know. Yeah, pretty cool, though. And again, you know, like we often hear about um, the hunters, you know, or anyone really feeling that sixth sense, like something's wrong. And, you know, he he heeded it a little bit in that he didn't head further into the woods, but he didn't leave either. Which was his father's instruction. Exactly. Well, you know, what what sixth grader listens that closely to their father? Exactly. <laughs> you know, usually when they don't listen, they end up having some disastrous report as to what happened exactly. to them that day. Exactly. Fortunately, this wasn't the case. But it's interesting how he kept it a secret for so long. Yeah, well, even kids, even kids have a certain amount of shame. Maybe he thought he was going to get in trouble with his father. 
Who knows? Uh, Who knows? And how old, how old are you when you were in the sixth grade? Yeah, I was wondering. I'm guessing around 12 or 13. So, Yeah. So he held on to it for five, you know, four or yeah. five years. Yeah. And then uh, he told his father what happened. But interesting how this calm fell upon him. Uh, the notion that he almost felt like he was being controlled. I've heard this yeah, before. Yeah, absolutely. There's some, <laughs> other, weird... some other force going on with these creatures. Yeah, now, you recall when we were talking a little bit about uh, Hunting Bigfoot, that series? Yep. You remember when they were standing by the uh, tiger's cage and they were talking about the ultrasound? No, fill uh, me in on that yeah, again. The, well, the uh, the lion keeper or the zookeeper was saying that the lions using this infrasound, this very low groan in their roar, use it to somehow control their prey mm-hmm. or, or uh, numb them or lull them yeah, into mesmerize complacency. them or something like that. Yeah, it's a weird thing, you know. Mm. But a lot of people have said that that they felt like they were, like, stupefied mm. uh, in the presence of a Bigfoot, you know, which is a real odd thing, you know? Very strange. Yeah, yeah, really uh, interesting stuff, interesting stuff. So uh, there you have it. That's my uh, account, and that was actually from uh, West Virginia. Mm. So uh, out there with the Jen Sanger... Definitely remember a rural the, place. You remember the Sanger? Yeah. Coming across the mama and the baby Bigfoot or the papa and the baby Bigfoot. Hunting ginseng. Hunting ginseng. On some private property. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to avoid getting blasted with a 12-gauge. <laughs> oh, it's a good goal. <laughs> yeah. I don't care if it's got rock salt in it, Ooh. man. That's going to hurt. Ooh. No, thank you. <laughs> Oh, well, brother, so that's it. What do we have that's in cool, our... Uh, that's a pretty cool account there you got, Bill. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. Good stuff. And those long arms, like super long arms he talked about, it reminded me of that uh, brown uh, fleur footage we looked at last week, right, where that thing had some long arms on it. Yeah, and you know, it was interesting when you talk about this footage. Uh, on the email that I requested for the contest, a lot of people cited with the Freeman footage. Yeah. Uh, A lot of people really thought that was the most legit. Uh, And, you know, some people were like, I like them all. I think they're all legit. Yeah, yeah. well, I'm going to cover a couple of cool points that we haven't talked about and I hadn't thought about um, related to that footage that people brought up in their letters that I think is cool. Yeah, now... And that's that's why it's good to do these things. You know, you get feedback and you get a feel for why people feel the way they do. Yeah, no doubt. And maybe one of these times you'll break down and give me a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to have to answer the bonus question. <laughs> and I haven't thought of it yet. <laughs> I thought it was like the wind velocity of a swallow. Yes, answer me that if you will. African or American? American. <laughs> I don't know. Ah. 
then you don't win. <laughs> All right. Our first letter comes in from Michelle. And uh, Michelle doesn't say where she is, but uh, she says, Hope you are both well, and I enjoyed your last podcast. The shows for me are akin to listening to two old friends. I read an interview given by Paul Freeman's son, who stated his dad was honest to a fault and always stated he did indeed see a Sasquatch that day. Take care, Michelle. So that's pretty interesting, right? His son uh, being interviewed and saying how honest his dad was. Yeah, I heard that before. Yeah. And that's Michelle M. Right. Uh, Michelle is a, a devout listener of the show. She always writes in. And Michelle, kudos to you. We're glad to have you on board. Yep. Uh, but that's a great point. The father defend, uh, the son defending the father's integrity and honesty. And uh, somebody else had said they thought Freeman didn't sound excited enough. Yeah. I so, don't know. you know. What's to be excited? Uh, we saw what that other kid did, or we say, I say kid. We saw what that other person did when the swamp ape stood up. <laughs> I mean, that dude had wheels when he was leaving that place. Yeah, he did a roadrunner <laughs> out of there. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. So, I mean, to say Freeman didn't seem that excited, I give the guy a lot of credit for hanging in there when that monster was in front of him. Yeah. Agree. Just incredible. You know what I mean? So here's a letter. The next letter is from one of our winners. And it's a little bit longer, but there's some great insights here. It comes from Angel or Angel. Sorry, Angel or Angel. I'm just not sure how you pronounce it. Uh, But great, great letter. I'm going to read it. He said, I believe the most legitimate footage of the four is the Freeman video. The other three videos are compelling, but they lack a bit more content to make any conclusions. One of them is too far away, right? That's that Sasquatch in British Columbia. The other's too hazy. And the third, I feel, lacks form. Um, He says it's inconvenient that the camera captures the creature in the worst possible posture. So that's the one that was captured on the game camera stealing the apples. Um, So he says, those three, I feel, can be real or can be fake. There's just not enough content to make an educated decision. I believe the Freeman footage is the most legitimate because of many reasons. For one, it got captured in the Blue Mountains of Oregon, which is a hot spot for sightings. Definitely agree with you there. Uh Uh, For another, it got, oh, uh, sorry, it also got captured in 1994, a time when YouTube and social media didn't exist. So there was no reason to try and have it go viral. And this is one of the interesting points, Bill, like we haven't talked about. But, you know, some of this older stuff, there was no reason to capture it. You weren't going to make money off of your YouTube video that got 5 million hits, right? Right. And none of this stuff was presented to any news uh, media and shown on TV, I don't think. No, I don't think so. You know, you know, so I, I th- it's a simple point, but it's really important. Right. Yeah. And, and, and then Angel or on hell goes on to say it also got filmed by Freeman, who was a, a, a patrolman for the U.S. Forest Service. Right. We talked about that, right. uh, which if you look into his story, he was also a skeptic until he had his first encounter. Right. 
Well, yeah, there you go. Yeah. And also prior to the video, he had already discovered footprints with dermal ridges. I talked about that, too, which he passed on to Grover Krantz, an anthropology professor in Washington State University. Right. We know Grover. Right. And also you can find a better version of it on the Internet, stabilized, uh, better than the one I posted, I assume. I, I did see the stabilized version. Um, and then finally, observing the stabilized video, the massive creature can be seen with greater detail. For one, you can appreciate the massive back and shoulders, very similar to gorillas. And this is recounted in a lot of sightings comparing Sasquatch to a human-type gorilla. It's, huh. Yeah, its walk is very similar to the Patterson film, but what caught my eye is how the creature turns and looks towards Freeman. Absolutely. Yeah, it slightly shifts its body to be able to look his way. I've heard in numerous encounters that its massive muscular back and shoulders don't allow it to twist its neck like humans can. That's pretty interesting too, right? Yeah, but I, I've been under the notion, and from what I hear, the, the the Sasquatch turns his body like the turret on a tank. In other words, the the barrel or the the face moves where the upper body goes, and vice versa. Right. It kind of turns all as one unit looks, and then twists back, and that's exactly what the Freeman video did. Uh, and the Patty Patty video also, she kind of shifts yep. to the right, like it can't really free itself up to just turn its head uh, loosely. Yeah, and that's the point that uh, Angel makes. So congratulations, definitely yep. a well earned autograph book. Yeah, awesome, Angel. Don't forget, send your contact me via the email link, and uh, give me your name and address, and I'm going to send you out a book. All right. And then uh, our next one comes in from Casey. And Casey says, absolutely love listening to your podcast. I'm a rancher farmer, so I listen all day. But my family has had two different encounters with the big guy. And also, I have an encounter with an angel, assuming it's not angel that wrote the last letter. <laughs> yeah. More of a godly angel, a heavenly angel. <laughs> Also, not the blinding white light kind, but one that was there to help for a few seconds. He was there to keep up. Uh, oh, he says, and, and he was there to help for a few seconds. So keep the great show going. And, and, and I'm going to buy all of your books ASAP as money allows. God bless you and your family. Yeah. And by the way, Kev, I'm a little peeved right now. That Casey yeah. was the Casey I was talking to today that I opened up the show with. Oh, I didn't know that. And do you know, I don't know how, I, I mean, you know me, I'm your brother. I don't know how I overlooked that he had an encounter with the angel. Yeah. I never even spoke to him about it. So now I'm going to have to Casey. Now you got to call him back. Maybe yep. there's another book in your future. Casey, you're going to have to call me back, brother. You already have my number. Call me back, and I want to talk to you about this uh, brief angelic encounter. Yeah, but, very cool. Yeah, Casey was uh, spot on with a lot of the information he was sharing. Uh, and obviously, I told him he's getting a book, too. So, uh, And, oh, here's a funny thing, Kev. Casey says to me, 
I love when you say at the end of the show, always carry more gun than you think you're going to (laughs) need. And he starts telling me about the weapons he has in his glove box on his hip, his (laughs) shotgun, his 30-odd six. I said, man, you're prepared. So now Casey says he's going to go down and have a couple of bumper stickers made up. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Oh, I'll put one of those on my truck. I told him, send me one out for myself and send one out for Kevin, bro. (laughs) Well, he says he's going to do it. We'll see. Yeah. You might have a surprise coming in a large envelope down your way. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) All right. So the next one comes from John C. in Kansas. Okay. And John writes, I really love listening to your show. It's one of the bright spots in my week. You guys really have good chemistry as well as you should, being brothers and all. I live in Kansas, and there isn't much Bigfoot activity around. Oklahoma is just a stone's throw away from where I live, and they do have activity, but it's pretty far south of me. I attended the Honabia, Oklahoma Bigfoot Festival two times, and it was very interesting. I was there when the Hunting Bigfoot guys were there promoting their TV show, and it just about got out of hand. (laughs) They're all (laughs) pro-kill, you know, and believe that that one needs to be taken for proof. I personally have to agree with them on this because I think that no matter how many stories or photos are submitted of this being, it's always going to be met with skepticism. How do you brothers feel about this? Do you agree? That one needs to be put on a slab for proof. (laughs) You men keep up the great stories and information, and I'll keep listening. I really love the show. You're a loyal listener from Kansas, John. Yeah, put on a slab. It sounds like he's making a six-foot Italian hero. (laughs) Put on a slab and put in the freezer. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) But you know something, Kev? I got mixed feelings about this. Uh, when I say always carry more gun than you think you're going to need, I'm talking about using it in self-defense should the need arise. Right. I can't see myself putting a shell in one of these things walking along in the woods. Yeah, just for the sport of it. Yeah. Nah, and, and what's the sport? And, you know, to me, there's enough proof out there already uh, that this thing exists, whether or not anybody else in, quote, authority cares to admit to it or put it in print or, you know, show us one that got hit by a car or something else, you know. Yeah, these things could be, you know, more intelligent than we are. Who knows? Like, it's it's also kind of a little weird. You know, to me, it's like uh, shooting a dolphin or something, you know, like, I don't know, you know. And I mean the mammal dolphin, not a a (laughs) mahi-mahi. Now, when you say... More intelligent than we are. Are you saying that we might run across a classroom setting with a chalkboard? Maybe. uh, In northern Oregon? (laughs) Now, listen up, Junior. It would be a university setting. They'd be be smoking a pipe with a sport coat on. (laughs) Philosophically speaking, Socrates Maybe a monocle. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. All right. We're going to our last winner here. David H. And uh, David, it's interesting. His subject is Freeman footage, easily the best. Okay, there you go. So he says, hello, gentlemen. 
I think he's talking to me, Bill. <laughs> Was it I'll gentlemen s- or gentleman? <laughs> I'll assume it's a typo. <laughs> I will start by saying that the Paul Freeman footage is the best and most likely legitimate footage since the Patty footage. Please know that he was actually using a VCR-type recorder. Uh-huh. So it's the classic video type of recorder used back in the 90s. The creature is huge, and there are at least two of them. He had come across tracks of an adult and a little one. He was actually filming the tracks and seeing that they had gone back and forth up and down the trail. As he continued down the trail is where the action sighting occurred. Below is a high-def stabilized segment of the footage. Yep. It is amazing and much more clearly shows this creature moving across compared to the footage you posted. Enjoy the show. Keep up the good work. I don't miss a week of the podcast. Well, you got to love it. And David, you're another winner, so make sure you get in touch with me. If you yeah, don't thank get... you, David. Yep. Yeah, if you don't get in touch with me, no book. <laughs> and David, you don't want to be in that situation because that's the situation I'm in. <laughs> Fifty podcasts in, no book, <laughs> no ticky, no shirty. <laughs> All right, well, that's it for this week. Um, I want to thank our fans out there, our listeners out there, uh, and ask you again, please, from your favorite podcast player, leave us a five star review while you're listening here. And it's really important that you do so because it brings more listeners to the podcast. And uh, with more listeners, we're able to continue to produce, continue to improve the quality of the podcast. And Lord knows, if you've been with us from the beginning, we've gotten better. (laughs) So thank you very much. Yeah, and remember, folks, if you happen to buy a antique VHS recorder and decide to go into the sister's wilderness in Oregon. Remember one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're gonna need. Sleep tight.